You might want to stop in and go uh, to the uh, mm. projects with us on Saturday. That's Hi, Carol. What's going on? We, we, every Saturday, Charlie, I, and Rick, who just disappeared <clears throat> in the back, and Tom, who's sitting quietly in the back there, we go to uh, Newtown, which is ah, uh, we're live projects, and we have a prayer ministry there. So it's pretty good. Okay, and, we're uh, live. If, if you're interested, I'll give you more information. I got to check with the family. I mean, I've, I literally yeah, yeah. cleared tonight, and, and so I have one meeting tomorrow. That's good. That's, That's no good. problem at all. And um, Psalm one nineteen one oh five. Okay, none, which is also seed, continue, air, and sun. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth. Teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I will not. I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes, statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come together and to <clears throat> share in your word. We thank you that uh, the people that are here were able to make it, and we know that uh, quite a few are sick today. We've got Pat and uh, the Bridges who are definitely uh, in need of prayer because flu at their age is, is often a, a scary thing. We would pray for them and for the others that Elaine that has the flu as well. And uh, we certainly pray for Bob, whose uh, pacemaker was a little funny on him Sunday morning. And we would pray that that is resolved and that he's breathing properly and walking steadily. And uh, Lord, you know all the other people that are suffering through this or that or one thing or another, even the people online that might be watching. And uh, if anybody out there is sick or in some type of pain or trial, we would pray for them as well. We thank you for our guests that came all the way from Connecticut today to share some time with us and what an honor that is. We thank you, Lord, for all the good things that you've given us in this life. And we just want to give you our praise and our glory and our honor right back to you because you alone are worthy of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wolcott, no less. The what? Wolcott, no less. Wolcott, and yeah, you were asking, where is that exactly? It's, it's, it's in the north, come out of the city areas. Okay, but when you say north, is it west or east? I may um, have asked you this before. I would be, actually, it's east. I, yeah, east of Hartford. East, east Hartford. of Hartford, okay. It's between right. a big city called Waterbury and a... Big city called Bristol, which is oh, okay. Yep, yep. I know. <laughs> uh, good. Well, it's a wonderful to have you, and we thank you for so coming you. by. Um, before I start, if you all direct your eyes to the pulpit, there's three carved porpoise there, and I don't want to see them when we leave. So, if you want a carved porpoise, please take it home. <laughs> they they have things at the gift store that you know they put a discount sticker on it, and if they don't sell it, the girls just throw it away rather than. Whatever, and they're they're beautiful. They're handmade, so please take them is and that, give them to somebody if you want. Is that porpoise or poor pie? Poor pie, porpoise. I don't know. Did they throw it um, away on purpose? They throw away tons porpoise? on porpoise. I got it. Good joke there. Okay, we are in the book of Romans. We're in three verses. Shall we conclude that? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. 
All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And then 17, where we start. And the way of peace they do not know. Okay, verse 317. Now, just so you all know this, I'm not going to make it through an hour and a half study tonight. There's no way. So we'll try an hour. I may cut even back to 45 minutes, but I, I can't go on. I, I've, I've been in bed for two days and... I needed to get out because my bones hurt, but I, I'm not going to make it through the whole class. I want to apologize in advance for that. Um, what's that? No, I just took a, a chloroseptic, so at least my sore throat is hiding for a little while. But okay, verse 317, um, Paul turns to the words of Isaiah to substantiate man's general character and disposition. Let me take you back there and read you this. Isaiah 59 verse 8 is what he's quoting there. Got to go the right way, Charlie. Uh, hang on just a second here. 59 verse 8 says, The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. All right, and that's as it says in verse 17, And the way of peace they have not known. So, uh, okay, thank you. Um, let's see here. So, there are several ways in which the way of peace can be demonstrated. I'm going to give you four ways in which the way of peace can be demonstrated. In oneself, let me say that again because I was drinking at the same time. I shouldn't have done that. Four ways that uh, the way of peace can be demonstrated. One, in oneself. A life of peace in an individual must start with contentment in one's station. If a person is content, then a hovel and a bowl of rice soup is sufficient for peace. If a person's eyes are full of greed and want, a mansion with a table of feasting will never satisfy. What's his name? Solomon speaks about that in the book of Ecclesiastes in detail. One must appreciate the gifts God has given in order to have peace in oneself. If such appreciation doesn't exist, it can only lead to internal toil and boil over in our actions towards others. Contentment in oneself naturally keeps one from harming others. But when it is lacking, the greed and lust of the heart spills over in our actions, be it individually or as a group or nation. Harming others then becomes an unsatisfactory means of obtaining what we want. Sound familiar to the society in which we live, in particular a certain group of people not on the right? Okay. We rationalize reasons why theft is acceptable and move towards the subjugation and oppression of those who have earned their way. Sound familiar? Okay. You said it with the right? I said the, the opposite of the right. Oh, opposite. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me read that last sentence because you're over there saying something. We rationalize reasons why theft is acceptable and move towards the subjugation and oppression of those who have earned their way. That's certainly not speaking of the right. As noted, this stems from a lack of contentment in our own station. This frustration is taken out on others, but it inevitably directs the blame toward God. Third way, towards God. Peace with God comes from an appreciation of his goodness and an understanding of his sovereignty. When one feels gypped by their circumstances, they will find fault in God. And we see that all the time. I mean, people blame God for everything, especially when they say he doesn't exist. But they find fault in him anyway, and they blame him for every one of their problems, even though they stand there adamantly and say there's no such thing as God. 
the sediment, it's not fault, I was my fault, I was born here, would necessarily place the blame on God, who made the choice. But Acts says in Acts 17, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Hi, Sandy. God, who is infinitely wiser than man, has selected our time, our place, and our position to be the very best possible moment in which we will seek him out. In other words, a person born in Honduras in A.D. 1630 would no more search out God than he would if born in New York City in 2013. God knows this and determines that which is best for his creatures, and yet we reject him. Proof that this is true is that there is a Bible on practically every single shelf accessible from every computer on earth, and yet, even with this opportunity, it is ignored. In America, there are churches on every corner, and yet they are closing due to a lack of interest. The way of peace they have not known, says Isaiah. This lack of contentment and self, which then overflows towards others, is ultimately blamed on God, results in unholy instruction within the family and within the society. See it all the time. People blame God for things, and the families degrade, and the next thing they know, God Yet, isn't even mentioned. No credit given to anything that good happens. <laughs> Say that again. Whenever anything good happens, it's not like, oh, that must have been God. That's exactly right. When nothing, when something good happens, they don't give him credit, but when bad things happen, they blame him, and they walk away from him, and I'm sure we've all got a million stories of that in our own life where we see this type of thing. Fourth way that uh, uh, I have here is in instruction. When the way of peace is unknown, the venues of life instruction follow a course of wickedness. The raising of children disregards education in the Bible, in respect, in honor, and in right living. School systems turn towards a liberal agenda and tolerance for that which is profane. Sound familiar? It's exactly what we're seeing in the world today. It's exactly what we're seeing. This carries from kindergarten to college. <coughs> Young minds are perverted from what is normal and the developed minds are perverted from what is reasonable. And I can tell you, I've seen that in my own family. People that were once reasonable in their thinking no longer are. And, and I'm talking about very conservative, very uh, conservative in their politics, conservative in their morals, conservative in their religion, and they've walked away from that. And it's because society has degraded them. It's like the, the frog being stewed. It just There's a point where you just continually, unless you stay on top of your Christian walk, you will degrade with what goes down around you. So um, society itself rejects the truth and turns to a news media which is based on feelings rather than objective journalism. We see that all the time. There is no such thing as true news anymore, at least on the left. None. There is absolutely none. They're unashamedly in the tank for one party and they won't do anything about it. The right comes back with their own biased views but there are a couple that are close to being in the middle, but there's very little true reporting in what we would call the mainstream media anymore. Very little, if any. As these institutions continue to turn away from soundness, the only thing which cannot be tolerated is intolerance. Right. That's it. You're intolerant, you're out. And what is in, what's the most intolerant statement ever made in human history? The most intolerant statement ever made in human history. Everyone goes to heaven. No, that's the most tolerant. Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no man comes to the Father but through me. It's the most intolerant statement that will ever be issued by any person ever in human history. Isn't that extreme vetting? That's extreme vetting there, I'm telling you what. So, but think about it. And that is completely rejected by the moral left, completely. They have cast it out. They've said that it's, oh, I've got it in the Prophecy Update coming up on Sunday. What uh, one person said in a trial in England just this past week. You won't believe what he said. And it bears directly on what we're saying right here, right now. Um, but even this is self-contradictory. Let me read it again so you know what I'm talking about. As these institutions continue to turn away from soundness, the only thing which cannot be tolerated is intolerance. But that is self-contradictory. And so vile emotions, think of what's going on in the world, are spewed out at those who pursue peace and reason. We are pursuing peace. We're pursuing Jesus Christ, who has said, I am making an offer to the world of well, actually, God the Father, I'm making an offer to the world through my son, Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus comes. He steps into the stream of time, and he says, I am giving myself up for you. If you'll simply believe, you can have peace and reconciliation with the Father. And people don't want it. Instead, that's intolerant. He says, I'm the only way. Well, he has a right to say that. He's God. But people say that's intolerant. And it's the only thing that isn't tolerated. Every other moral perversion on the face of this planet is okay. All paths leading to God is okay. But to say that there is one path to God is not okay, and the world rejects that. It's just enough to make me angry. In the end, the pattern repeats itself, and the world ends in a state which is no longer worthy of anything but destruction. At the time of the flood, a mere 1,600 years, actually it was 1,656 years, but um, after the creation of the world, Genesis 6 verse 5 says that then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's exactly where we're at right now. You look at the world after the rapture, it's going to be even worse. Imagine that. We've got you know, a group of people in the world that aren't completely corrupt all the time. And then we, you take them out and all you have is, you know, what we have in the world right now that's railing against the Christians. It's going to be just chaos. It's going to be utter chaos. So, uh, uh, of course... This resulted in a global flood, which took the lives of all but eight people. God's people, Israel, had been destroyed and exiled twice because they followed this same pattern. If you don't believe it, just pick up the page of the Bible and read through its pages, and you'll see it. They followed the same pattern, degrading to a point where they were completely useless to the Lord. However, he had made a covenant with them that he would never let them be destroyed as a people, and in his faithfulness to his covenant, he restored them both times but they still haven't learned the lesson to this day. And because of that, let me go on, at the rapture of the church, there will only be strife against God leading to the tribulation period. All because they have not known the way of peace, as Paul says right here in verse 17. A little life application for you. It is unreasonable to love others into hell through tolerance. Completely unreasonable. And yet that is, yet Christians are so afraid of offending nowadays that they aren't even going to say, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I take two minutes of your life and tell you about the path to God? People don't, I'm scared to do that. What it's if like I offend stick them? stick them in the head with a knife. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, Robin goes and the kids go to some place, right? Yes. Oh, okay. I they did. Got, I, well, yeah. And they, uh, one of their ex-church uh, members gave me the manifesto that he had wrote. And uh, there was two. There was one that he gave to the public, and there was one he gave just to staff. Right. And it is such. It, it just goes right back to that statement. It's like, okay, 
God doesn't judge. He's pure love. And and Jesus did not come here to sacrifice himself for our sins. I'm not sure what Bible they've been reading, but <laughs> I, it's not ours. But, uh, no, I, I can tell you. Come up with this flaky crap. Well, it, it comes up if you know the church that he's talking about, and I don't want to say it again. I don't want the people to hear and malign. You I didn't know. say it. Okay, um, but he. Uh, well, that's right. This is live. Yeah, there's a, there's a a church here in well, there's a million churches in here in Sarasota like this, but they. Uh, they put money above anything else. And I know that because another person sitting in here right now knows that personally. He knows exactly that, and he's told me that. So uh, money is where it's at with them, and you're not going to get rich by saying that Jesus is the only way and that you need to stand on the truth of the Bible. And so there's no doubt about it that uh, you know people would rather have money in this world than rewards in the next. So Hunter, he's 13 so he Poor goes guy. to the thing. So like I go, so I, I read the thing. I said, you know what's the problem, Hunter? I don't know what they teach you when you go to your, you know, teen things there. But anyone who tries to redo the recipe of salvation always contradicts himself. That's right. Day. And he starts off by saying that God is all love. There is no judgment. Hunter said that? No, no, no. This oh. is what the manifesto says. And I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He said, this is what he says. There's no judgment. However, if you flip back the two pages when it gets to the end, you will be judged by how much you do for your community. Which how means how much you do for the church. Ah, That's what yes, it all comes yeah. down to. Yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, completely contradictory in his he thinking. It, but but he, his mother has to get it. And get them oh, well, I hope she it. does because having children in a church like that is yes. not the smartest thing. I'm going <laughs> to mention somebody in the Prophecy Update on Sunday that I've been talking to the Lord all week about this this family. Just so why, I'll get into it on Sunday. Sure. Anyway, um, where are we? Not yet. And um, that which is against God, be it in general society or in the church, must be identified and called out. If not, there is eventually a breakdown in right moral thinking. This is especially true with our religious leaders. If they depart, our religious leaders, there you go, if they depart from what is right or deflect attention away from Jesus, their words or actions must be shown for what they are, which is exactly what you did. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, always. And so the house of the Lord must (laughs) proclaim the way of peace, which is Jesus. Okay, before we go on verse 18, I might as well read you this. We'll probably end up having it in my notes from... You know, in the next verse, and if so, then we'll just skip it. But you uh, John five there? No. Oh, okay. You want me to go to John five? Well, it's John five twenty two. Go ahead. Okay. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Well, that's so right. There is going to be there judgment. is going to be judgment, but that part of the Bible doesn't count. Well, you you got to remember. Well, they must have deleted that fifth chapter. Yeah, exactly. I'm talking bad at Suncoast. I'm not talking. You know what I mean. Anyway, let me uh, let me take you to Ezekiel chapter nine. I'm just going to read you the whole chapter. It's real short, and uh, you'll see about God's judgment. This is His people, Israel. <clears throat> then He called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, "Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand." And suddenly, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north each with his battle axe, it's the word is a mapatz, which means a shattering weapon in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. Then they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the, of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. 
And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark. The word in Hebrew is tav, T-A-V, yeah, which was a cross. <laughs> put a tav on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, now that's only the people that are going to be saved. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes bear nor have any pity. So utterly slay old and young. Um, where was I? Men, maidens, and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the tav, the mark, the cross, and begin at my sanctuary. Begin at my sanctuary. So he's saying judgment starts at the house of the Lord. It goes on, though. I want to read something a little more, and you'll understand why I love this passage so much. It says, um, so they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare nor will I have pity, but I will recompense on their deeds on their own head. Just then, we got two paragraphs of talking going on. Just then, the man clothed with linen, who had the inkhorn at his side, reported back and said, I have done as you commanded. There were not a lot of people sealed with the top. He could not have gone through the city that quickly and sealed a whole bunch of people. If you think of it, he had this short little conversation. The guy shows back up and he says, I've done it. Imagine. That's what the world's going to be like after the rapture. There's going to be very few people that care enough to repent and turn to God. There you go. 318. Read slowly, please. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ah, Thank you. I had to get that down. What is the beginning of all wisdom? What's that? Yes, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Verse 318, this is the final quote in this train of thought. And it is taken from Psalm 36, verse 1, which says, back here, Rick, I couldn't get to your house on Wednesday. I've been in bed for two days. There, I, I could not make it, and I'm so sorry. We will get together, but I, I did not leave the bed at all yesterday. 36, verse 1 says, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Okay. There you go. That's where that comes from. This mm -hmm. is um, fear of God is speaking of awe and reverence. When we have these things, it will bring about an understanding of our own fallen nature in relation to God. Yeah. Time and again in Scripture, when one is brought close to God, the person finds himself overwhelmed at the majesty of his presence. Such is the case in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah had a vision of the Lord, he cried out. Let me read you the whole path. This is just a marvelous passage in Scripture. Whoa. Yes, that's exactly the one. And it says here, Isaiah chapter 6. Talk about, you know, now think of this. Isaiah chapter 1 through 5, I think it's nine times Isaiah says to the people of Israel, woe to these people that do this, and woe to these people who do that. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as with a cart rope. Woe to those who call evil good um, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe who put, uh, who put 
bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to the mighty men at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. And he goes on with all of these woes upon the people. And then you a couple more before that. Anyway, he gets to <laughs> chapter 6, and he's woeing these people. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his temple filled the train of his robe filled the temple and above it stood seraphim each one had six wings with two he covered his face and when he with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one cried to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke verse five so i said woe is me for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What? Huh? What? You missed the next verse, the good one. Well, you want me to read the next verse. Uh, well, you should have said it before I turned the page. Huh? Fixed his lips with that. Oh, well, we can do that. All right. That's actually not just one verse, but we'll do it. Uh, I just wanted to get the point across about what he saw, but we'll do it. Um, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a, coal in his ha- a, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Oh, here you go. Okay, so... Um, where was I? That was verse 318. Okay, Isaiah 6, 5. One of Israel's holy men stood in awe at what he witnessed. But the people Paul is speaking about shun the glory of God, and in their hearts there is only contempt for him. These past quotes from the Old Testament show us several things. First, the Jew cannot hope to be saved simply because of their heritage. Their own word testifies against them. Paul spoke about this in detail and then provided those quotes directly from their own sacred writings to show this is true. Secondly, what these verses show us is the character of human nature in general, not specifically any given man. They're a broad brushstroke of how humanity is displayed from the creation until today. There was the flood to correct it. There was the cleansing of the land of Canaan by the Israelites to correct it. There was the purging of Israel from their land twice to correct it. And there will be the tribulation period of the future to once again destroy wickedness. Humanity, when left to its own devices, will shun God and choose the path of destruction. Third, the corruption of man proceeds from the innermost depths of who he is, and it proceeds outward in a vile display of how he presents himself. This is symbolized by the mentioning of the parts in order that we went through last week, the throat, the tongue, the lips, the mouth, and then the feet. The corruption spreads outward and is carried far and it is carried wide. When man forgets God and sets his feet on an evil path, only wickedness can follow. This is so, so very important to remember because as a nation, the United States has set its feet upon this course. We have condoned that which is forbidden. We have spoken that which is vile. We have spread that which is wicked and we have lost our fear of God. Unless the people return to the Bible as its source for instruction and guidance, we will come under God's continued hand of chastisement, eventually leading to destruction. It is the church which must lead the way in this endeavor. 
And I will tell you something. I saw a video today speaking of exactly that premise is that they were interviewing Trump in the White House. I don't remember who it was, if it was Fox or CNN. Some news service was interviewing him. And what was it? I don't know who it was. No, it wouldn't be CNN. But he said, um, he said, uh, I, I'm relying on God more and more. And the guy was, what do you mean? And he said, the awe of being in this position has not made me less reliant on God. It has made me more reliant on God. Now, I'm paraphrasing what I saw. Yeah, exactly. He, he understands the magnitude of the position he's been placed in. Unlike our previous president, who simply walked away from anything to do with morality, this man understands that he is accountable, not only for himself to God, but for 350 million people to God. He is their leader. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the nation turns on what? The leader. Always. When you have a bad leader, the judgment falls on the people, and the people follow the leader into judgment. When you have a good leader, the people turn and repent and come back to morality. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with this guy or not, because the left is so disgusting and so vitriol against him that it may not happen. But he will deal with them. He will deal with them. He absolutely will deal with them. We're we're facing this right now, though. But can we help you, ma'am? That must be my wife walking in. Okay, let me give you a life application, then we'll do another verse. Sorry, I'm not giving you a little, lot of talk today, just my notes, but I'm I'm really struggling even to think, much less read. No, half of us have fallen asleep. Yeah, thank you. Life application. Uh, when the fear of God is lost. We don't have clips, Jim. <laughs> when the fear of God is lost, only unrighteousness can follow. Only. That's it. Mm-hmm. We must stand up for what is right and not allow ourselves to be caught up in the eddy of moral degradation which surrounds us. And thank God that enough people made the right vote a few months ago to at least begin to stem this tide and, and to turn the ship around. One state said that they just pulled, they called 160,000 dead Dead voters, voters out of there. Off their, their voting. Oh, that was like, uh, West Virginia. Yeah. How does that Dead work? voters. Like, yeah. And yet we still won. Charlie, I think it was helped divine intervention. It was divine. There's no doubt it was it divine intervention. You bet it was. No doubt at all. 100%. All right, so where were we? Um, uh, no, I'm still reading. Moral degradation would surround us. Stand on the firm on the tenets of the Bible and be ready to defend them <laughs> above all else. Yep. There's one standard, only one, by which we will right the wrongs around us. And it is found there. And that's why, let's, let's do something I've never done in a, uh, what do you call it, a Bible study before. Let's take a moment and pray for our president. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we do. We, we uh, have an obligation to pray for him. And I'm sure most people here do throughout the day or even on their knees at night come to you about our president. But we would like to lift him up right now. And we would also, I would personally like to see godly counsel come his way and not just Uh, name it and claim it people that have been surrounding him so that he would understand not only the magnitude of the position he's in but the doctrine that goes along with the bible itself and that he would make right decisions not for prosperity but for honoring you above all else if you are honored the peace and prosperity will come if you're not then any prosperity is going to be temporary at best so please uh fill him with wise counselors fill his mind with wise decisions and give him the ability to overcome those who are oppressing him. We pray this, that you will be magnified in this land once again, and that uh, this nation, this ship, which is facing into a headwind, will find fair sailing in the the months and years ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 319. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Absolutely. Mine says, become guilty before God. Mm-hmm. So Paul sums up his <clears throat> argumentation in this verse. He's summing up everything that you just cited from the Old Testament. <clears throat> now we, um, where am I? And he will draw his final conclusion in the next verse. Now we know is his way of saying, see, the evidence is clear. It is concise. It is fully substantiated and it is irrefutable. And so we know that whatever the law says is given to mean whichever law applies to the addressee. He's speaking in general terms about a law applying to an individual, okay? To the Jew, it is the law of Moses. And to the Gentile, it is the natural law clearly revealed to us and which Paul carefully spent his time explaining in Romans chapter 1. These laws are the facts to be presented in a judicial proceeding. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, right? If we're in America and we violate a, a law of America, then we'll be judged by that law, right? If I go to Japan and I violate one of their laws, then I will be judged by the law of Japan, even if it's not something illegal in America, which was the case. In Japan, they had different laws, and you had to know those laws. Whatever law you're under, this is the law that you're being judged by, all right? They're accountable in both cases, but by whichever law, the evidence is clear. The charges have been presented, and so every mouth may be stopped. This phrase is alluded to in the Old Testament, such as in Job 5.16, which says, Job, verse 16 says so the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth all right every mouth being stopped means that the evidence is so overwhelming that no valid reply can be made in response to it at the judgment nobody will be able to say but i didn't know we have received enough of god's general revelation to condemn us for the gentile it is conscience mixed with reason and my thought on that is we exist We didn't create ourselves, and therefore we were created by another who has shown himself through the rest of his creative works. Any person sitting in this room, if you've never heard of Jesus, can figure that out all by yourself. Burke was talking to me before Bible class today. Then he said that, uh, what was the preacher's name? Henry Ward Beecher. Henry Ward Beecher was talking to his friend. They got together, who was an atheist, and uh, there was a globe there. And he said, what is that? That's not the earth. He says, no, that's all of the constellations. And look at how marvelously they're arranged. And you say it, because I don't want to blow it. What did he say? He said, I would like to purchase one of those. And Henry Ward Beecher says, uh, oh, no, and he says, who made it? And mm. Henry Ward Beecher says, no, nobody made it. It just happened. It just happened. It, <laughs> exactly. It just happened. Yeah. That's exactly what this is speaking about. People will deny the obvious. They just... The chair there just popped into existence all by itself. Nobody in China made it, and it wasn't shipped on a boat over here, and we didn't have to pay money for it. It all just happened. But that's what the the level of stupidity that we have to get through, get to, in order to deny that God created. I'm sitting here right now. I didn't create myself. I didn't pop into existence from nothing. Nothing, what is it, ex nihilo nihil fit. From nothing, nothing. All right? Therefore, something had to create us unnecessary being. We've talked about that before. We'll go through it again sometime during the book of Romans. Anyway, so um, uh, 
Where was that? Um, we exist, we didn't create ourselves, and therefore we were created by another who has shown himself through the rest of his created works. For the Jew, the argument was drawn directly from the authority that they claim is the basis for their culture, which is scripture, right? Paul has demonstrated from the source of what establishes them as a people that they are guilty. We went through that time and again. He kept making these little, you know, statements. And finally, he says towards the end of his statement on them, you do. He'd been speaking to them all along, and they he was setting them up to understand that you are as guilty as everybody else. We'll talk about that in the book of uh, Jonah Sunday, and then on the last, which is not this week, but the next week, we're going to see that again. It's going to be as clear as crystal. Is that the Jew... Um, I, I, I better not. It's this week's sermon, and I don't want to give it away. It's a shorter sermon because it's only four verses, but um, uh, it's exactly what Paul has done here. He set up an argument to show them where they are wrong. All right? So um, a clear example for us to understand this is to simply change Jew to Christian. That's all we need to do because the Jews had Scripture, right? Well, Christians had Scripture too now. We have the full full, you know, well, 66 books, yeah. So, um, uh, change two to Christian, include the New Testament. You who claim to be a Christian, have you met the requirements of being a Christian? If there is one source for such a claim, the Bible, which tells of Jesus, it is the basis of our faith. Would anybody here disagree with that? No. No, you can't. This is what establishes our faith. Nothing else establishes our faith. Even the Roman Catholic Church can't get away from this. They say that they can interpret it, only they can, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they can't get away from the fact that this is what establishes our faith. Why? Because Jesus is the basis of our faith, and we don't have any record of Jesus except this. Everybody got that? So this is the basis for our faith. There is no way to get around that, no way, shape, or form. Okay, so let's see where I was. You who claim to be a Christian, have you met the requirements of being a Christian? All right. If it can be demonstrated from this source, which is the establishment of our faith, that we have not met the requirements of the title, then we are found as false Christians. Right. There are certain things that are expected, just like that church that you were talking about. They are not meeting what is expected of Christianity. Their statement of faith denies that. God will judge people. They deny the truth of Scripture, and therefore they are not meeting the basis for our Christianity, okay? Paul has shown that no Gentile can be saved by natural revelation. Natural revelation or general revelation can only do what? Inform you about God. Inform you about that, but it can only condemn you in the end. You cannot be saved through natural revelation or general revelation. It can only condemn, because... You do not have God's special revelation, and only through special revelation, Jesus Christ, the prophets call everything leading up to Christ and then Christ coming. Only that can lead and to just salvation. To be clear with that, is that anybody who is alive who believed in God, Elohim, before Jesus came? Not Elohim, Jehovah. Jehovah. Yeah, the Lord. Would, would they have the ability to be saved? Absolutely. They were looking forward to the Messiah. That's what God pulled out this one group of people, and he says, I'm going to do something through you. I am the Lord. He gives them the law, but he also, none of them can meet the law, so none of them can be saved, right? Mm -hmm. But he gave them one day a year where they could have all of that erased. And it brings the law back to one thing. What? Faith. Faith. It comes back to faith. 
All right, always faith. The law is not works plus faith. It never was, because if it's works plus faith, then that means that you can get to heaven by working, and you cannot. No person could make it. It was always by faith alone. But anybody that had the faith that they were atoned for because of their anticipation of the coming Messiah represented by those animals was saved. Absolutely 100% right. Genesis 15 and 6. Yeah, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him for righteousness. Right, now it may have said God there, but it does say the Lord came to him. So it's showing that the Lord is God. Let me read that really quickly because my brain is just bad enough right now where I can't remember the exact terminology. But um, Genesis 15, verse 6 says, uh, starting up at the, the beginning of that, it says, um, uh, oh, no, it says he believed in the Lord and he accounted it for righteousness. And that's why I made a point, and I did it last week, is that in the account of the sailors, on the ship, they believed in who? Well, they believed in their God. No, I'm talking about afterwards. No, they believed oh, in the God. They, they believed in the God who he was running away from. Nobody, nobody listened to my sermons, did they? They believed in the Lord, the covenant name of the Lord, Jehovah. What? Linda was saying that. Like, okay. The God who saved Yes, Ha Elohim, and then later it says, and they believed the Lord. They believed in the divine name. Okay, now, in chapter 3, all the way down through there, it says God, 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 and it says the God, but it never says the name Lord right. in there. And so I would argue, and I, you know, we can't be specific about this, but my argument is that they were not saved unto salvation. They were saved unto not being destroyed as a people. They were saved in this earthly existence, but not saved because then he would be saving people apart from what he is doing through the law. They might and, have been on their way. Yeah, that's right. We and so we don't, we don't know. That's right. But it never mentions the Lord like it does with the sailors. Right. The sailors, it's very, the wording in Jonah is so absolutely precise all the way through there. And that's why I've spent so far eight sermons going through every single word and even articles in front of words is because it is showing us something that's going on in human history that you can't get away from. Is that Jesus is the only way. He right. is the Lord incarnate and nobody can be saved apart from him. Now, Abraham was before the law. Yes, but... It, before atonement. You still had the Lord. So. I understand that. Yep. But, like, it's like, okay, the, the law and atonement was just an added burden. That's all it was. The Jews. That's right. Being the chosen people that, like, you know, it's like, okay, great, you're my people, but now I'm going to load you up with all this... This stuff. This stuff. And we'll talk about that a little bit on Sunday. Not a lot, but you're absolutely right. What they think is <coughs> their... Privilege. It, yeah, privilege actually is what condemns them, mm -hmm. and that's what Paul is speaking about here. It's what condemns them, and I, I'll, I, yeah, it's not like I say it's not going to be a real long sermon on Sunday, but the points are going to be very clear about what you just said, very clear about it. So, excuse me. Um, wait, oh, wait, I, no, I haven't even gotten halfway done with this. No. <laughs> let's see. He's, he just wants to get going. He wants to do four verses Sorry. in one day today. Um, let's see here. Paul has shown that no Gentile said that there uh, may become guilty before God. The term become guilty is the Greek word hupo, I can't even read this, hupotiklos, okay? This is its only use. And then, see now, if you would, we had gone right into 419, you wouldn't have learned that I word. I know that. Okay? I'm use that tomorrow. Yes, you will. Hupotiklos, all right? Uh, this is its only use in the New Testament. It means to be liable to the judgment. The sum of Paul's thoughts to this point then is that when judgment comes for both Jew and Gentile, the verdict is to be guilty. That's right. No appeal. 
Absolutely no appeal. We can't say to God, you're unfair because he's the creator. The verdict is guilty. All right, God's revelation of himself condemns us. And if this were the end of the story, it would be a sad, sad story indeed. What value would it be to go on? What purpose would there to be in doing any good at all? For what then did God create? Just to destroy his creatures? Is that why God created so he could destroy everything that he's ever made? No, the story would make no sense at all. The next verse will conclude this line of thought, and we will finish this, and then we'll be done for the day, because I'm almost done. Um, and we'll show the utter futility of existence without Jesus Christ. But verse 20 will open a new page for the condemned soul. Little life application, if we somehow feel that we are pleasing to God in and of ourselves, then we have made an immense error. And I know everybody here that's witness to somebody has seen people that think they're pleasing to God, mm -hmm. right? I used to feel that way. God has given us his law, and we have broken that same law. Thank God that the story does not end there. Take time today to reflect on the glory of Jesus Christ. Without him, there would be absolutely no purpose to our existence at all. There would be none. But in him, life has again meaning. Are you thinking through? He's our hope. He is our only hope. He is our blessed hope. He is uh, wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 320. Oh, we are doing it. Yes, we are. But you're quick. No, no, no. Then we'll be done. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Absolutely. This one says, but by the law is knowledge of sin. Same thing, just different terminology. Um, this ends the paragraph that we've been looking at yep. since verse 9. So here we go. Verse 320. Therefore indicates Paul's final conclusion of the issue he has been addressing. The case has been presented, and the lawyer has given his closing argument. Now comes the final statement, therefore. Anytime you see therefore, you go back and see what, what it's there for. So we're going to go back and we're going to do verses 9 through 19 again. Okay? That's not true. Um, Paul has been speaking of the law in two ways. Natural law is revealed to the Gentile, and the Mosaic law is revealed to the people of Israel. It wouldn't logically follow that this verse suddenly drops the natural law to speak of the law of Moses only, right? Therefore, by deeds of the law is certainly speaking of man's efforts to please God under either law, whether it's the Mosaic law for the Jews or whether it's natural law for man, it's speaking of either still. In other words, someone who isn't under the law of Moses, who goes about doing good stuff, cannot expect to be justified in God's sight, nor can someone who is under the law of Moses expect to meet its requirements and thus be justified by God. And we've seen that very clearly. Nobody can meet the standards of the law. That's why Jesus had to come. If anybody could have met the standards of the law, he didn't need to come. And therefore, him dying on the cross was the most galactic mistake in the universe. God sent his son to do something that nobody else could do, but somebody else did it. The whole point of Christ's coming was because he needs to bail us out of the situation we're in, right? In both cases, by the law is, as Paul says, the knowledge of sin. For the Gentile, the natural law tells us internally that there is a gap between us and God. There will always be a state of uncertainty about our eternal state because the deep inside of us, we know that the things we've done have separated us from him. I've brought this up in different contexts. People will come and hand you money or they'll say, well, can I do something for you? And it's not because they want to do something for you. It's because they want to 
put away the sins that they've had before God. And they're trying to do something good just to make amends. You know, that's why we help little old ladies across the street. Otherwise, why would you do it? Right? Anyway, that was I was using that as an example, but I'm talking about, you know, people in general will do things because they think, and what do people do after they do something really good? Their head swells. Well, they, they brag about it. And they, what was, what did you say? Their head swells. Their head swells. That's right. I did something good. And then they say, wow, I feel good. God must really like me. And brag about it. Yeah. All of the things that, that bring it back to oneself. Like when, you said that, by the way. I, I forgot my check. Oh, boy. See that? And, um, uh, the, uh, now I completely lost my train of thought. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah, when we do something good, but that's, I know what it was. But after doing that good thing and feeling good about it, we always inevitably go back to feeling bad again. Or Be worse, do it all over. Or do it all over again. That's exactly right. Because we, we know that we have not taken care of the debt that exists out there. We know it. And that's why these things keep coming up in our lives. Okay? The natural law tells us this. There is this always going to be this state of uncertainty about our eternal state because deep inside we know the things we've done have separated us from God. For the Jew who has the written law, there is the same knowledge. When they objectively look at the law and then compare their deeds to what it calls for, okay, the honest soul will acknowledge that they have not measured up. The problem is that most of them don't. They think that their righteousness is something that was granted to them as a people and therefore they don't need the law but if they take themselves out of the picture and they just simply read the law and say this is what god demands not one of them would have the feeling that they do they would be writing psalms like king david have mercy on me O god you know they'd be talking about the iniquity in their lives and how they've fallen away from <coughs> the precepts of the lord that's what they would be doing but most of them don't do that to this day. They still think of themselves as a Jew, and therefore they are a-okay in God's presence because of who they are as a people, okay? Um, and let's see here. Um, where was I? For the Jew who has a written law, I said that when the, I said that. Okay, of course, there are those who, under both the natural law and the written law, who feel they are above what they see. There are those who feel these things don't apply to them individually, there are those who completely reject the premise, etc. Okay? These attitudes in no way negate what is obvious, but merely further demonstrate the righteousness of God who has so revealed himself. Anybody that says that this doesn't matter actually further reveals God's righteousness because he's given it to us. And they know it. They can say it doesn't matter. They, anything they do. But the more that they buck against him, the more he's going to be glorified when they're condemned. And we would hope that they would come to him before they die and and make a change in their lives, but so many people will not. One way or another, God is going to be glorified either through salvation or condemnation. That's what's going to happen to all people on this earth. In the end, Paul says that by deeds of the law, no flesh, no person who has ever lived will be justified in his sight. The law merely condemns us. It is a sad and seemingly hopeless state in which man finds himself. By the law is the knowledge of sin, and after all, the wages of sin is death. That's right. If this were the end of the book of Romans, it would be better for us that we had never been born. Or, for those of us who are alive, it would be a pointless existence knowing that death was coming and which would be followed by an eternal separation from the very source of our existence. For all eternity, our mind would contemplate, why did he even create me? Why would he do it? But Paul's words do continue, and they will show us the magnificence of what God has done for his wayward creatures.
Like that. What, go ahead. Merciful he is. It's like every path that looks like it'll get you there. He's clearly said, Yep. This will send you to, to the wrong place. That's you right. Do not want this. And it's like a funnel. And at the end of the funnel is Jesus. I mean, like, you know, That's why he says, wide is the road and broad is the path, mm -hmm. but narrow is the road. And I know I misquoted that, but you're right. It's like a funnel. It takes you right, right down. Yeah, like, As a matter of fact, you know, that's somebody wrote a, a series of sermons called God's Funnel, where he was showing the, the line of people in the Old Testament leading to Christ. And everything about what God is doing is funneling us to one thing. That's why it says in the Bible to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is the only place. There's no place outside of that funnel where we're going to find satisfaction. But the world does not want to hear that. And the only thing that's intolerant is intolerance. Life application and will be done. Um, the divide already exists between God and you. And there is no deed or deeds that you can accomplish in order to restore the bridge. But God in his infinite goodness has provided the bridge himself. As you contemplate your state... Before him today, think on the perfection of what he has done through Christ Jesus. What a great God, right? Okay, I can't talk anymore. My throat is just done. So, Jim, would you close us, please? Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day, your word, Charlie's willingness to dig into it and uh, tell us uh, what he's found and uh, then give us the wherewithal to go check to make sure it's right. And lo and behold, it is. And, uh, Lord, we know that you love us and we know that you're... Your path is simple, and we just tend to buck it and want to somehow do it our way, and it, it never helps, and we only suffer for it, not you. And Lord, just um, may we know the path to you through your Son on the cross for us, his resurrection, and um, just that simple path. And Lord, just any uh, prayers, concerns that are in this um, this building and online, Lord, just um, may we uh, uh, lay them at your feet. We know that your will is perfect. That uh, comfort is only found through you, and whatever that outcome might be, we know that um, your plan for us is, is far better than anything good or bad that happens uh, in our lives. And uh, Lord, just uh, may we always stay focused on that and be able to tell others about it. And we pray all this in your Son's holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <sighs> okay, let me back this baby up. I want to tell everybody, we're encouraging everybody to send a card to the president on the 15th of the month. That sounds good to me. Postcards to the president. Okay, we got it back, so let's say goodbye to everybody online. We love you out there. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you Sunday.